Well, yesterday I know a lot of us celebrated a holiday that involved a lot of dress up. And I enjoyed seeing all the, the pictures on Facebook of everybody's kids. And, and some, of them were, some of them were really creative. Uh, one of the things that fascinated me was uh, how many kids I saw uh, impersonating the president. I saw two twin girls, and one was Biden and one was Trump. And so I don't know if they had them a mock debate later or what, but it's, it's funny to, to see all those people uh, dressed up in different things. You know, when you, see, uh, when you see a little kid like that dressed like the president, it's, it's, it's funny. There's, uh, there's enough resemblance that you know what they're going for, but they don't really look like the president, do they? Mm -hmm. It's just, a, just an impersonation. It's kind of close. You know, as I think about the people who often uh, describe Jesus, and then I read the Bible, it seems to me that in many ways their description is kind of like those impersonations or those Halloween costumes. They're, there's just enough similarity for you to, to know what they're aiming for, but it's not, really, it's not really an accurate representation of the person. So when we think about Jesus, do you know one day when we take our last breath, we'll stand before him. We'll see him for who he is. Many people will be quite surprised, I think. So when we think about this person who, after all, is a real person that's to be discovered and known and not invented and shaped, how, how do we know what he's really like? What's our, what's our source of information? I believe that God has revealed to us in Scripture what Jesus is like. And so we go to the Bible and we ask, how does the Bible describe Jesus? How does the Bible define who he is and what he is like? And so last week we looked at, at one image that the Bible gives us for Jesus, that of the great physician Today we turn to Isaiah 53 where the Bible gives us another very rich image of who Jesus is, the suffering servant. The amazing thing about the description in Isaiah is that Isaiah was long before the time of Jesus. The passage we looked at last week was from the Gospels, from people who were contemporaries of Jesus, meaning they lived at the same time. They were eyewitnesses of what he did and what he said. But Isaiah lived many, many, many years before Jesus. The amazing thing about all of the Old Testament prophecies is that only God could reveal in advance with such precision, clarity, and accuracy what was coming in the future. And in the book of Isaiah, God, through this prophet, gives us a very vivid and detailed description about who Jesus is and what he would accomplish for us. The Bible in 1 Peter speaks about this process of discovering Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 says, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, meaning the, the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah being one of them, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And listen to this description here, this, this little tagline. Things into which angels long 
to look. The Bible tells us that God does not reveal everything to everyone at all times. And so we know that there are many times that the, even the angels did not know exactly what God was going to do. In fact, Jesus said about the time of his return that the angels still did not know when he was going to return. And the Bible says about the Old Testament prophets that God was revealing stuff to us through the Old Testament prophets, and it says things into which angels even long to look. The Old Testament prophets, they, they got a glimpse of what was to come. And you and I are so blessed to live on this side of the cross and to be able to look back with great clarity through reading the Gospels and having seen exactly what Jesus did for us and to know exactly how he preached, what he said, and how he established the church. You and I, you and I are fully aware if we'll just read and study, we're fully aware of the things at which one time even angels longed to look into what God was revealing through his prophets. And so today as we open this Old Testament prophet, Isaiah, in chapter 53, we, we see God giving that revelation of what was, to, what was to come, that which has now already happened as Jesus came for us. So I want to ask you to join me in standing as we read our passage, Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Let's pray together. Father, I pray today that you'd help us to, to study. I pray that as angels, once long to look into what you were revealing through Isaiah, I pray that we too 
would long to see what you have revealed to us through your word. Lord, as we get a greater vision of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, may today be a time of worship and adoration for us today. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the Bible tells us about Jesus that, that humbly he came. If we could describe Jesus in a word, there's no single word that can encompass all that he is, but there are many words that speak to his character. There are many words that when we think about Jesus, they just come to mind. And for, and for me, I think if you know Jesus, one of the words that should come to mind is humility. Humility. Jesus came in humility. The Bible says here in verse 1 that we read, Who has believed what they have heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Revealed. The word reveal means to uncover. So today it's, a, it's a, a big thing in our culture. When uh, people are expecting a child now, they have these, uh, these revealing parties. And they're pretty elaborate sometimes. You know, back, back in my day, you, you got out of the doctor's office and you picked up the cell phone and you called and you said, hey, it's going to be a girl or it's going to be a boy. But, but I, I've seen some really elaborate things. I, I saw one time, uh, uh, I guess this family was kind of into golf. And so uh, the whole family was gathered and, and uh, dad was going to hit a golf ball. And they told the family, when this thing disintegrates, if the powder's blue, it's going to be a boy. If it's pink, it's going to be a girl. And he, he whacked that thing, and it just blew uh, dust everywhere. They're just really elaborate about, about revealing whether it's going to be a boy or a girl. That's the idea of revealing is you don't know something, and you don't have any way of knowing something unless someone else tells you. The same is true about God. We only know God because he has told us about himself. He has uncovered who he is. He has revealed himself. And so this is what this passage speaks about when it says, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And so through the prophet Isaiah, the father was revealing the son and showing them what the son was going to look like when he came and how he was going to come. We know that Christ was born into humanity. In verse 2, notice what it says. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. The Bible uses so much rich imagery and, and pictures to, to communicate. And so many of these pictures in the Bible come from just agriculture, the things that God created. I've always thought those that, that grow up in urban areas are really at a disadvantage of reading the Bible because for those of us that grew up in the farm, growing plants and seeing things grow and understanding, we, we already have a, a good grounding in this, this imagery of, of the plants. And the Bible says here that, that the Messiah, that like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground, it would, it would come up. In the Gospel of John, the, the Bible describes the Lord coming this way. It says in the Word, and the, and the, Word, is, the Word is Jesus, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
the word became flesh and dwelt among us. As we think about what this means, Jesus did not merely adopt flesh for a, a short period of time. He actually became flesh and took on flesh upon himself. He became like us so that we could become like him. Not that we would become a God, but that we would take on his character and his nature and that we would inherit eternal life. He took on our problems so that we could receive his reward. And he came, the Bible says, like a plant that just begins with a root and shoots up. It's just, just a small thing. And yet it grows into something great. The Bible says in verse 2, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus came in humility. Humility. You know, there's things in life that are kind of hard to define. We might ask the question, what makes a person beautiful? Have you ever thought about that? What makes a person beautiful? Is it, is it like sharp features? Well, I, don't, I don't know that you find that because I've seen a lot of people with very round features that are very gorgeous. It's not a certain skin tone because I've seen people with all different types of skin tones that were very beautiful. and seen people that shared those skin tones that were not. Beauty's it's one of those things that it's just, it's just really hard to define, isn't it? But we all know it when we see it. We all know it. Where did this come from? The same God that created all of us created beauty. And as he came, he could have came in, in any form that he desired. The very God who created beauty and created all of us could have, could have came in a form that would make the most handsome movie star today look ugly. And yet the Bible says that as he came, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He came not just in humanity, but he came in humility. Humility. Think about the circumstances of Jesus' birth. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, as it describes the birth of Jesus. It says, and while they were there, meaning Mary and Joseph, the, the earthly parents of Jesus, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Someone was telling me this week about their, their family and someone in their family had been quite successful, very wealthy. And so they, they did what, what a lot of people uh, seem to desire to do. They wanted their children to have a better life and an easier start than they had had. And so they gave them a lot of things. 
We don't all have the same means, but most parents that I know have the same desire. We want good things for our children, don't we? We want good things. At my house, we worked very hard to see that our girls didn't go through some of the things that we went through or have to do without some of the things that we did without. And yet, the father, when he sent his son, he allowed him to be laid in a manger. A manger, in case you're unaware, is a feeding trough for animals. Jesus came in humility. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, it speaks of the humility of Christ. It says, have this same mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The very God who spoke and brought the world into existence humbled himself and took on flesh and came in the most humble circumstances imaginable. Humbly, he came. But the Bible also tells us that despised, he lived. Notice verse 3 in Isaiah. It says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one who from men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. The Bible says here that, that, that people would despise Jesus when, when he came to this earth. And we look at the Gospels and we know this is true. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 27, verses 17 through 18, that the religious leaders despised Jesus and their envy of him was what motivated them to send him to the cross. It says... So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, and Pilate was the, the, the Roman in charge of that area, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? Apparently there was a, a tradition at the festival that someone would be pardoned. Someone would be pardoned. And so Pilate did not want to crucify Jesus. He knew that he was innocent. And so he thought this was a good opportunity to find a way out. And so he brought out a man named Barabbas, a man who is a, a thief, guilty. And he said, who do you want me to release to you? And I suspect that, that Pilate, being a cunning politician, probably picked a very despicable person to make the choice obvious that the crowd would say Jesus. That was his intent to set Jesus free. And the Bible says that what motivated him to do this in verse 18, for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent and the religious leaders of the day envied him. 
Isaiah tells us that the Messiah, he was despised and rejected by men. Mark chapter 9 gives us another episode into the life of Jesus. And in this passage, he said to them, as they had, they had, they had confronted Jesus about Elijah must, must first come. Elijah was that great Old Testament prophet. And the Bible tells us that, that John the Baptist fulfilled that role as Elijah when it meant that Elijah would come again, not that he would literally be resurrected, but that one like him would take his role. And John the Baptist came to fulfill the role of Elijah in preparing the hearts of the people to receive the Messiah. And had they listened to John and repented of their sin, they would have been ready to receive Jesus. But instead they confront Jesus about this. And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written that the Son of Man, that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? Contempt. Men despise Jesus. They, they, we would say today they disrespected him. They did it out of envy and jealousy. They treated him with contempt. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verse 11, he came to his own, talking about Jesus, came to his own. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Luke chapter 20, verse 17 says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. I've never laid stone before. There's a lot of it up in Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, where I'm from. One of the local pastors there was a stone layer. This week I was, uh, I was uh, at a filling station here. There's a guy that works a little bit part-time, and, and I knew that he's a stone layer. We were discussing this about laying this stone. And he said the same thing to me that my pastor friend in Tennessee said. He said, it's like a giant jigsaw puzzle, trying to pick out these different stones and, and make them all fit together. Of course, my pastor friend in Tennessee added something. He said, Kevin, it's like a giant jigsaw puzzle with really heavy pieces. <laughs> and so the Bible is describing this stone builder who is examining each stone and deciding which one's going to fit where. He's, he's laying out the design for the wall. And there's one that comes along and he says, that, that's just not going to work. It's not going to fit. And so he tosses it aside. And the Bible says in the same way, these people rejected Jesus, and yet he became the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the most important part of the building. It's the point from which everything else is laid out in the corner. Jesus was despised and, and rejected. Humbly he came, despised he lived, but... We know that suffering, he died. The Bible says in verses 4 through 6 of Isaiah 53, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid 
on him the iniquity of us all. The Bible tells us about a man named Job that suffered greatly. And as Job suffered all kinds of problems from losing his children in tragedy to, to disease, his friends just assumed that Job had done something to bring this upon himself. And they said, Job, what have you done? At one point, Job's wife says to him, why don't you just curse God and die? They, they all assume that because Job is suffering in the way that he is, that he deserves to suffer and that he's brought it upon himself. In the same way, the Bible says that in verse 4, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. There are those who would think that because Jesus was crucified that he must have deserved it. Perhaps that even he was a, a false prophet. But the Bible says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. When Jesus died on the cross, he suffered, but he suffered not because he deserved to suffer, but he suffered because we deserved to suffer. The Bible says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Later in the New Testament in 1 Peter, the Bible tells us about Jesus carrying the weight of us upon his shoulders. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that you may, at the proper time, he may exalt you. Listen, listen to this. The very comforting and encouraging scripture. It says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. As Isaiah would say, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We might ask the question today, what things... Is it appropriate to pray about? How big does a need need to be before I can bring it to God in prayer? Well, the Bible encourages us to cast all of our anxieties on Him because He cares for us. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. When he suffered, he suffered not for his own sin, but he suffered for us. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. In Romans 5, 8, listen how the New Testament speaks of this. It says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. A lot of confusion today about what, what love is. In many ways, people try to redefine it. Oftentimes, people today will say that they, they love someone or they are in love. Really, they've confused love with affection, emotion. Sometimes they've confused it with lust or infatuation. Love 
Love is self, self-sacrificial. It withstands the test of time. Because it's easy to say that you love someone, but it's our actions that reveal whether we do or not. And the Bible says that God did not merely say that he loved us, but that God showed us his love. He showed it. He demonstrated it. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He suffered because of us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I don't know about your personal Christian experience, but uh, I found in, in a lot of situations that I'm able to say and do the right thing for a short period of time. And then someone says a very rude, unkind comment. I can, I can smile. I can take it. They say another, and I can let that one go. And then there comes a line where I can respond with the same unkindness that they've shown me. It's just my human nature coming out. Yet Jesus, the very God who spoke and brought the world into existence, he came in humility. He was despised and rejected by men. He suffered for us. But yet the Bible also says that as he went, he, he opened not his mouth. doesn't mean that Jesus never said anything, that it means that he never responded to them with the same violence, hatred, and unkindness that they showed him. In verse 7 it says, He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. But oppression and judgment, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in him. Jesus, to the very last moment, modeled for us submission to the will of the Father and obedience. He demonstrated love through self-sacrifice. He did it for us. He took on our sorrows, our pain, suffered for our sin. And he came in absolute humility. When you think about how Jesus came, how he lived, how he suffered and died for us, if he died for us, surely we can live for him. Let's pray together.
Father, we give thanks today for a love that's so deep we, we can't fully describe it, explain it, or understand it. Lord, I pray, I pray that you'd help us all to believe what you have revealed to us in Scripture. I pray for every person that's here, for every person that's watching and listening. Lord, if they've never accepted, if they've never accepted what Jesus did for them, I pray today they would call out to you in prayer and receive this gift. Father, thank you that you sent your son to die in our place. Father, we thank you that he was obedient. We thank you that he loved us. Lord, help us to live for him. For it's in his name that we pray now. Amen. Jesus, when he came and lived this life, and then suffered the way that he did. He did something that none of us are capable of doing. Every single one of us, the Bible says that we've all gone astray in some way. That's why Jesus came, so that we could be forgiven and that we could be healed. And so I want to invite you today to receive this gift of forgiveness, healing, restoration. Maybe you're ashamed today of something in your past or something in your present. Jesus knew before you were born, before he went to the cross, he knew what you would do and what you would be thinking in this moment. And yet he still went anyway. That's why you can come. You can come to him. And you can be forgiven. And you can be cleansed. And you can be brought into this relationship with the Father. Not because you deserve it. But because he has paid for it. And so I invite you this morning to call on him in prayer. And ask for forgiveness. For those of us that have received this, we need to live a life of gratitude. We need to live a life of imitating him. And we need to live a life of honoring him. And so I ask you to take a moment as we sing and just reflect on your life. Maybe even say a short prayer and say, God, is there anything in this moment that you want to change about me. Whatever decision that you need to make, I invite you to make it now as we stand and sing. Let's stand together.